0: your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now let's turn it over to Fern Nieman.
1: Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got another great guest for you today. He's got an interesting perspective. He still has a full-time W-2 job, Fortune 30 company. He'll tell us more about that, but he's been able to build his more mobile home park, park portfolio at the same time, so have a unique perspective. Please help me welcome my guest, Sean Dwyer. Sean, thanks for coming on, man.
2: Absolutely, Ferd. Thanks
1: for having me. Appreciate it. You got it. Well, tell us, tell us your background and tell us how you got into MHP and how you juggle both the job and investment portfolio and we'll go from there.
2: Sounds great. So yeah, I got started into MHP investing, started deep diving into it about three years ago, believe it or not. So started during COVID times, you know, I personally was tired of seeing my 401k just drop by like 30% every couple of years, yeah. you know, it happened yeah. in 08, 09 over the course of multiple years. And then COVID over the course of a couple of months, you know, you take a pretty big hit 30, 35% over a short period of time. I'm starting to think like, okay, this is, this is great. You, know, you have a 401k, you have a nest egg that's there. What happens in 20, 30 years when I'm ready to retire and something happens and it drops by 30, 40%, you know, I need some additional alternatives. I need some other avenues for, for income, potentially even passive income. So I started listening to a bunch of podcasts, reading tons of books, and just kind of fell into the mobile home park space. Uh, started doing some underwriting of deals, and I don't know what happened when I first started listening to the podcast when they came out in like 2016. Downloading some old versions, started looking at them in 2020, and wow, the prices jumped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah, partnered, uh, got a hold of Ryan and Ian as part of their mentorship program. Uh, so I started doing that. They started setting me up with how to do cold calls, how to set up lists, how to do, you know, cold calling direct mail marketing, meeting with owners, meeting with brokers, and just trying to get into the industry with that. So that's how I broke into it. It took a long time. It took over a year from initial deciding to get into mobile home park investing to actually closing on my first.
1: Yeah, yeah. Your story is not unlike a lot of others. Where yeah, it's it's not easy to jump in. And I'll be curious here in a minute to hear your perspective on the passive versus active piece. Because I know for me, I thought it was a passive investing, and then and there are some parks that are there's some parks you can operate in four hours a week, but there are certainly some that you need to operate considerably more, and even more than you can handle yourself. You need to have a team. So different perspective uh, depending on the depending on the individual park. Each one is its own animal. So when you, when you jumped in the space, did you have a specific type you were looking for? I mean, by the nature of having a regular um, full-time job, did you specifically pursue a park without park owned homes or without vacancy or tell us about that analysis?
2: Sure. So when you're looking, at least when I was looking at it, tenant owned homes, park owned homes, you know, your, your park owned homes are going to get a little bit more beat up. So I was looking more tenant based. So that way it's I'm not dealing with the day-to-day water sewer issues within the home, roof issues, leak issues. I don't have time to deal with that. So, yeah, for me it helped out with just narrowing the focus in the parks and communities that I was interested in. So, looking ideally if it's close to me outside of Philadelphia here anywhere between 50 to, you know, 200 250 lots is ideally what I would be looking for. Small value add, doing rent increases, Either developing some additional land, moving in some homes to sell off the tenants. But yeah, the the big heavy lifts of a park that's 20% occupied and you know, water sewer issues, all park-owned homes, I don't have the time to deal with that.
1: Yeah, understood. So how do, so with that, that's with that target, and it's it's not a super narrow target, but it's not I'll take anything, which is probably a good strategy, but with that narrow target, how did that impact your ability to find a deal, especially your first deal when you didn't have a relationship with a particular lender or broker, I know a lot of my clients will say like, I can't get the first deal bought. And I'm like, unfortunately, sometimes people, what people are having to do is they're paying up a little bit for the first deal or they're taking a deal with more hair on it. And if you're yes. specifically wanting a deal that doesn't have hair on it, you know, then you got to pay A lot of times you got to find a, either A, find a diamond in the rough or B, you pay up a little so the next time you call that broker, you can say, hi, I'm calling to expand my existing mobile home park portfolio. And then they might actually return your phone call. How was that experience for you?
2: Yeah. So for me, a lot of the broker listings are great, uh, but they just don't really pencil out for the returns that I'd be looking for or to give to my friends and family. So for me, it was just building that off-market database, calling, cold calling, direct rail marketing, existing owners and operators, and just building that relationship over time. You know, it's not done overnight. You know, it took many, many, many months of connecting with them, going to drive through the parks, talking to them, providing offers them declining, and then finally getting one under contract. Had a lot of others under contract, uh, almost half a dozen. But ultimately, as we started to dig into it, due diligence, uh, zoning, permitting, sewer issues, there's a lot of things that just happen over the course of getting parks under contract, at least LOI, before PSA phase, but then having to drop out, unfortunately.
1: And how how big of a radius from your your home base did you look at, at the beginning? I mean, was it within 100 miles or were you willing to look at something remote You know, two states over where you may need a manager.
2: Yeah, ideally within a four hour drive is what I was looking for. But now the first one purchased and owning and operating about two and a half hours or three hours is a pretty decent driving distance for what I could do, you know, after hours, nights, weekends, sort of thing if I had to go physically on site. Anything longer, it's just not able to to, to maintain ownership of and and be that really that on the ground if needed or required.
1: And your first park, did you manage it yourself or did you have an on-site? Part time or full time manager?
2: Yes, yeah, so we have an on site manager that we had from the previous owner. Uh, she took over a lot of the day to day responsibilities. Uh, so that's what we did for that one. For my first park, I actually did a partnership with Julio Jaramillo out of Evergreen. Okay. So, yeah, so he has a great team of regional folks all around the country. So if there's something that needs to be addressed or done during the day and I'm just not able to do it, uh, his team can handle that. But yeah, I'm always available at nights, weekends.
1: Right. Yeah. We've had Julio on the show before as well. He's a great guy. He's 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 fun to fun to talk to and fun to watch. So he's he's been real successful. So it's good you gotta work with him on that deal.
2: Yeah, he's awesome. He's very passionate. You know, we go out and do site walks every year to the communities that are we own and operate. And he goes to every single one of his properties and very passionate and loves talking to all the residents and trying to help them out in any way he can.
1: That's great. So what is what would you say is your Best lessons learned from your first park, and did you make any mistakes that you have been able to fix on future parks, or did you have a, you know, enough analysis and due diligence in the front end that you've been able to avoid mistakes even from the beginning?
2: Yeah, we, you know, no mistakes currently on the the park that we're currently owning and operating. Everything's going pretty smoothly. Um, just, I guess, the only lesson learned is just contractors, right? So, you know, luckily this area is pretty good you know, relatively dense. So we have a pretty good pool of contractors, but yeah, I don't know how folks can manage parks that are very, very, very remote. If you have, you know, small pool of residents, small pool of contractors that you're working with, um, you know, luckily we have some really great contractors that we were able to snag and talk with other park owners in the area that put us in contact with them.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've had, I've had some luck and some misfortune in the past on you know obviously if you're if you go to a town of 8,000 people you can expect to have a harder time finding contractors than you know town of you know a million people but i've i've even had it where i've had you know reasonable sized metros 120 150,000 people and depending on that part of the country it's like you can't find people who want to work or you can't find people who want to work at even a sensible price and i've even had it where like these are professional contractors I had one part in particular, we had like 10 professional contractors bid out these mobile homes. And they were, I think we had eight or nine at the time. So like eight homes remodel. Like, look, this is a lot of work, you know, it's not coming to town. I think this is going to, we even had a guy that did like Hardee's or Taco Bell or something that was, had a down period. Like, look, if you give me something in the next 90 days, my crew is here, we'll renovate them. We're like, great. We've got eight mobile homes that need total remodels. And they never gave us a bid. We call them back like, Hey, what's the story? You said you'd give us, you said you'd give us a bid by Friday. Some of them said, Oh, sorry, I'm a couple of days behind. Some of them never responded. And at the end, I had 10 contractors and guys with you know their name on the side of their truck and business card and website. Like, okay, these guys are gonna give me the bids. This is a reliable company. And they just ghosted you. So we ended up having to train, hire in guys, you know, in-house and in other locations and just send them on the road. And just hey, you're out of town for a week, two weeks, come back for two days, go back for two weeks and repeat and that is not an ideal way to renovate homes Um, and just, you know, really intensive from an oversight perspective, lots of travel costs, hotel costs, but sometimes it's, you got, that's what you got to do. So definitely a, definitely a challenge.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're even doing some work in the community to make it a lot more pleasant, more appealing. So we're putting in driveways to all the, the homes eventually. So we're going to be doing it in multiple phases, but yeah, to your same point, just calling these contractors, look, we have, you know, X amount that we're trying to do this year, you have another 40 or 50 that we'll be doing next year. And then just getting people just to give you quotes and just respond back to you is sometimes impossible.
1: It's, it's, it's definitely one of the more frustrating pieces of management is finding people that want to work. I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to pay the market price. You know, sometimes the market price is expensive. It's like, look, why are you guys not doing this? But yeah, it's just the nature of the world we live in. And, and from a geographic standpoint, it's sometimes worse than you'd, you'd expect. Absolutely. So how do you, so um, how are you finding deals now? What's this current market doing for you? Are you you able to find sellers that are still motivated to sell or people in your market uh, still wanting the price from 2021 and you can't come to terms because you don't have 2021 interest rates?
2: Yeah. So when connecting with mom and pop owners, yeah, it's the same. They've, they've heard, you know, last couple of years of what their park's worth and they're kind of holding out for that number and that price even if I'll just do basic math with them and say, you know, here's what you're telling me you bring in. Here's what I would have to pay for a brand new interest rate at that price. Like your park would, I would be underwater. So they're like, yep, don't care. That's the price I want.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, that's how it goes. Like, well, you, you approached me. I wasn't going to sell. If you want to pay my price, then I'll, then I'll sell and it's frustrating. So what, what percentage of sellers are, are you seeing that are, open to discussion versus, you know, unwilling to discuss at all. And then are just com- completely unreasonable. And if you found it, have you found any ways to bridge that gap, you know, seller finance or anything else?
2: Yeah, not yet. So most of the owners, they typically just want to sell. They don't want to, to finance it over the course of time, at least the ones that I've met and I've talked to. So I ideally would love to get and get some bridge the gap from what they're currently operating today. And then ultimately with the sales price that they want, we could refinance into, but yeah, still just uh, some lofty goals and objectives from existing mom and pop owners.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people, when they get started, they're doing, they do similar tactics as far as trying to contact mom and pop directly. Um, out of every 10 you talk to, have you, how many of them are you the first person that actually has reached them versus have they already heard a price from, from me and the next nine guys?
2: Yeah, so all of them, um, let me think, um, a lot of what I got is stop calling me. I wish people would just leave me alone. <laughs> no, I'm not interested in selling. I'm leaving to my kids. So they get called all the time.
1: Yep, yeah, That's what I, that's kind of been my experience. I feel like the guys that you can reach and you can find everybody else has already found too. And you just got to get lucky. I mean, we, we bought a deal in St. Louis one time that we just reached out the guy. He, he answered, he gave us a reasonable price. We said, okay, we, we closed the deal. And then we posted about the deal on LinkedIn after we closed it. And like 10 people said, Oh my gosh, I've been bugging that guy. And a couple people were <laughs> offering a bigger price. A couple of people couldn't get a price out of him. And wow. in hindsight, it was a really it was a, it was a relatively low price. It was it was a really good deal for us. But apparently the day we called, he just it wasn't like we sweet talked him. The day we called, he's like, Yeah, I think I'd sell. And somebody else called him not maybe not the day before, but three months before. So you just don't ever know. Yeah. I had one recently that I followed up with. It just hit me one day I was like we never we never called that person back, and I should have um we had an loI with them and I want to say it was like eight hundred fifty thousand and the park was a was a bargain so I, mean, I would have easily paid over a million dollars for it, but that was the price they asked for like, oh I bought it for 750 10 years ago, so if I want to make some money, I'll take eight fifty. we're like, yeah we can make that work well, then we ended up um sending them the contract and their lawyer redlined it. We agreed to the redline changes. And then their CPA killed the deal. The CPA said, where are you going to replace this money? How are you going to, you know how much tax you have to pay on all this? So we talked about, we tried to do seller finance or other options. And this woman just said, no, I'm not interested. Well, then I thought about it like two weeks ago. I was like, that was like two years ago. I wonder what she's up to. She's like, that." she kind of said like, I'm never going to sell based on what my CPA told me. I'll never sell. So I reached back out to her and she got back to me the next day and said, we no longer own this. We sold it a year ago. I'm like, you had, why would you not call me? And I'm like how much did you sell for? I'm just I'm like, oh, so it just, you know, proves to me again, like you got to follow up. You got to stay on it. And somebody else called her on a, a luckier day than I did. And I had a, you know, I called on a bad day and somebody else called on a better day.
2: Yeah. A lot of it's honestly, it's timing. I think it's just getting the right person on the phone at the right time. Um, there's been times where I'll call people the first time and, you know, they're ready to talk, ready to sell. There's other times where I'll follow up with people for the last couple of years and they're probably gonna leave it to their kids, but I'll still follow up with them they're great people to talk to. So yeah, it's 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 uh it's a numbers game, it seems like.
1: Yeah, it's a combination of effort, numbers, luck, um, build relationship, all that. My there's a guy in my hometown, he he lived in the park. And he was very successful and wealthy. He had a bunch of farm ground, he had a construction business, and then he lived in the park and had a nice real a really nice looking park. He he didn't Focus on it that much because of his other needs and desires, I guess. But he had a rent box and he said, Put the rent in the box. And on his door, it said, Don't bug me, don't knock, don't call. And we bought the park and there were, we got access to the rent box. There were months and months of checks that had just been piled up in there. It's in front of his door. He didn't even take the checks out. There was a check in there for, I want to say it was, I want to say it was 65,000, it was 35,000. For some, so somebody had dropped him off a check for something else you know for like his concrete business or something and we got we got the box and we called him like hey man uh, you got a check in here for 65 000. he lived like at this point he lived like 45 minutes away he goes okay next time i'm in town i'll reach out to you it was like a month and a half later he's like you still got that check I'm like you got a sixty five thousand dollar check you're not that worried about it well anyway this guy was really hard to reach he was really grumpy and I, I walked on site with them and it was like I thought it was gonna be like a twenty minute walk. And we ended up sitting outside for like three hours and it was like ten degrees outside. And it was just we were just frozen. And he's just chain smoking cigarettes right in my face, one after the other, one after the other. But we finally got the data out of him. How many of these homes are actually occupied? What's the actual rent? And my dad had been bugging this guy like every three to six months for five years. And I'm like Nobody's buying. Nobody's getting this guy. nobody he, he's not answering the phone call, so he was a pop, but he had a ninety space park with concrete roads double wise with gazebos and garages and driveways like it was a really nice park and and he then he wasn't an economics major, so we were able to get it at a price that was really attractive to us because we weren't really competing with anybody and I bet people have been calling him. There's not that many fifty space parks left. this was a ninety space park plus it had storage units all the houses had all the lots were nice i mean it was it was a really nice parking we just kept trying and we you know we got we got somewhat lucky but somewhat effort where nobody was getting lucky straight up calling this guy because he would not he wouldn't even return the phone calls for his tenants yeah you know. <laughs> but in cash or checks right so it's amazing yep good job yeah thanks uh, um <laughs> What's you got any interesting stories on dealing with this uh, seller? Anything, any way you've uh, bonded with them that's special, or any way that they've told you to blow off that is entertaining?
2: Yeah, no. So, for this seller, again, just trying to build up rapport uh, with this individual. Um, you know, asked if uh, there were any other parks that we were under contract for, weren't interested in. You know, would you be interested in purchasing it? He said, you know, uh, maybe. So, build up a relationship with him. There was another off market broker listing kind of wholesale deal that. Was uh, down in Baltimore area, so we weren't interested in it due to the price and um, NOI that we we're getting for it. So, reach out to the owner, said, "Hey, you know, there's this other deal um, that's currently off market. Do you want me to put you in contact with you know, the, the the broker or wholesaler?" He said, "Yeah, sure." So after that period of time, he always just returned my calls. So, trying to find you know other deals for him that didn't work for us, He's built a pretty good relationship over the course of you know twelve to eighteen months.
1: And that's the guy that you, you purchased from. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I've never tried that. I, I I guess I'd be a little afraid of the deal that you thought was too expensive being like, Hey, you should talk to this broker. And then you like reset his price expectations. <laughs> uh, some of the roll of the dice there, but you built rapport. So that that was worth it. Yeah.
2: I just figured, you know, he's not really returning my calls all the time. So if I can just start building a relationship with him, you know, almost peer to peer maybe, you know, maybe could get a pretty good deal from him over the course of time. He said He's ever interested in selling.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I have a guy I recently spoke with that I met probably four or five years ago who owns four or five parks within, within about an hour of my house. And so I was like, I'd really like to, and he's an older guy. He's in his 80s. So I don't know if he has children or anything like that. Um, I, I've forgotten if he's told me, but um, I talked to him again recently. And he's like, yeah, I remember you. Um, You're a quality guy. I enjoyed our discussions. Um, You're at the top of the list when I'm ready to sell. So, I'm just like, okay, great. I don't know when he's going to sell, and if he's ever going to sell. But uh, it's like it gives me some hope that he's going to fall in my lap. I had another got another seller that we were really close to selling with. Uh, We had an LOI, and he would never sign the contract. And I don't want to sue the guy over this, but he just said, "I'm not ready yet. Family issues, health of my parents, and..." you're the only guy I'm talking to. And I, I can assure you, when somebody else says, "Will you sell your park. I say, I've already got a guy. So, you know, right. And I, I'm believing him and trusting him. And I've tried to, man, we've tried like crazy to, you know, restructure it differently or do this timing differently, or, you know, seller finance this piece or that piece, let him reinvest here. He can keep the homes and I'll take the park or I'll take both or some combination. And we've not been able to get more of the hump, but, Continue to reach out to him and continue to you know let him know we exist. Especially after that other recent one where the person told me they already sold it. I was like, good grief! I, I literally made you an offer, hundred percent of your asking price. Why would you not have called me when you decided you were ready to sell? But they didn't. Didn't even try to get me to bid it up on the other guy. Nothing. So, just goes to show that you got to be persistent and be top of mind.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, there was a like the handwritten letter that I wrote to a seller that lived pretty close to my house, nice little 50 space park. Today, hey, if you're ever interested in selling, want to talk, want to meet up, give me a call. Well, he called me Built a little bit of a relationship over the course of the month. And he ultimately wanted to sell to, to somebody else, even though I gave him an offer that was, I think it was 200, 250 K higher. Wow. So he's like, "Um, oh, you know, not really interested. I said, look, you know, partnering with Julio on it. I said, you know, look, there's, there's my business partner. We can give you names of all these other purchasers, mom and pop owners that we've worked with, brokers, you know, whoever you need. He's like, ah, no, I'm just busy. I don't want to call them. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, you could make another quarter of a million dollars just by calling one person or multiple people, just as references, and he didn't want to do it.
1: Wow, it's it's odd to find out. One time, when I was when I first started looking for parks in Kansas City. I, I picked the 50 closest mom, pa, There's a lot of institutional owners here. So I didn't really bug them, but that got me as far out as Atchison, Kansas, which is about 40 minutes away. And of the 50 handwritten letters I sent. And then I followed up by calling them many of whom I couldn't reach, but the only guy that called me was the guy from Atchison. And he said, and he called to say, Hey, I just want to give you a courtesy call. Um, I demoed my park five years ago. There's no park. Like, oh, I couldn't tell from the aerial from my list I had. I hadn't driven it, obviously. But he he called to tell me. I was just like, well, that was nice of you, but I wish somebody else would have called. But uh, it didn't work out as well as I hoped. so
2: Yeah, some mailers, I'll get people call me back saying, you know, take me off your list. Don't send mail to me. Okay, I've never emailed or called any of, like, the window people that are mailing me to buy stuff or get stuff from them. But the people are pretty passionate about not getting mail sometimes.
1: Right. Well, Sean, what other, what other tic, tips or tricks or suggestions you have for our audience?
2: Yeah, so for anybody who's new to the space and looking to break in, uh, to be honest with you, just it takes time. It's not going to be your first cold call. It's not going to be your first direct mail message. It's not going to be the first LOI that you sent. Just keep calling, try to build relationships over the course of time, and eventually you will break into it. It might take a month, it might take a year, it might take three years, but eventually you will get there.
1: All right. Good stuff. Hey, where can, where can people find you after this session here if they want to reach out to you, Sean?
2: Absolutely. So feel free to go to my website, goldenoakrei.com or you can email me directly. Sean. at golden oakrei.com.
1: All right. Anything else we're going to call it a day?
2: No, that is it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You got it. Thanks, Sean. Take care.
2: You too.